Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. When most of us finish a project, we don't really think much about it unless a problem comes up. However, once you've rolled an application out to production, there are certain things that you can expect at various points in time as the application ages. Like any other aging process, this will eventually result in system death. Now that said, you can often expect certain things to happen as your application ages and extend the useful life of the application. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the things that can crop up when an application is in production and how to extend the lifetime of an application. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Man, I have been in SQL purgatory. I... You know, for part of the system I'm working on, I have um, a little north of 100 stored procedures that I'm responsible for. And it seems like you're always in SQL purgatory. I, I have been here for a while. Like I'm getting kind of, <laughs> I'm getting a little tired of SQL um, yeah. just because there's stuff that is harder to do in it. You know, like, oh, I don't know, having a constant would be nice um, that I could share across stored procedures, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I've just been cleaning up stored procs, you know, locking some stuff down. You know, we have uh, security checks that happen at the database level as well. And that is literally all I've been doing, except um, I think yesterday there was one bug in some .NET code that I fixed in like three seconds and pushed out a NuGet package for. But other than that, it's huh. basically been all week in SQL. So that's all I'm fighting. How about you? It's been a busy busy week for me. My main project at work went into full production. Uh, the side project that I've been working on is now in testing, and we're finding all sorts of fun stuff, uh, mostly dealing with latency in uploading files across the network. Uh, it's annoying, but I'm making progress on it. Uh, you actually told me something today that I'm looking into and I may integrate tomorrow and see if that works. I've been working on my talk for Codeland. I know we talked about that last week. I'll be speaking on my journey from med school to becoming a developer. In the talk, I plan on getting real about my struggle with depression and overcoming it. It's going to be a good inspirational talk, but it's going to have some dark parts to it too. So it's 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 been interesting dredging this stuff up. So uh, speaking of dredging things up, we've got our, our final week for... Uh, Book OTs. I don't know. I don't like that name. <laughs> no, but, it sounds uh, weird. We'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll work on something. But uh, yeah, we've got our, our final week for uh, for the IOTs book. Yeah, this is the last week we're talking about the pragmatic programmer. The last two chapters of the book talk about the projects that you are on as a pragmatic programmer. Chapter seven, the penultimate chapter, focuses on the time before a project starts. This includes gathering requirements, understanding the constraints of what you're developing, and knowing when to start, you know, kind of avoiding analysis paralysis that keeps you from going or avoiding jumping in too quickly. And then the final chapter deals with the projects themselves. It looks at the larger picture of working with a team, establishing working rules and automation and some project-wide testing. Now, remember, these chapters and sections don't have to be read sequentially. If you're dealing with an issue on a project team, you can jump directly to chapter eight and read about it. Now, next week, I'll announce our next book and give you guys an introduction to it. Who's talking to us this week? So we got a comment from Geek Interface on the top five LinkedIn mistakes uh, with a write-up for Tricks of the Trade uh, saying, failure is one of the greatest teachers in life, and that is why all of your unit tests should fail before they pass. 
Thanks. That is a great summary of what Will had to say in Tricks of the Trade. Uh, I didn't want to pester him late in the evening when I was putting together the show notes. So I made that offer on the website to uh, to the first person who gave us a write-up of the Tricks of the Trade. You totally earned your water bottle. Send us an email with your contact information because we've got one just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Also, check us out each week on Facebook and YouTube Live where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Now, I do want to point out there will not be a live next week because it's 4th of July here in the United States and there's going to be a lot of loud noises as fireworks explode outside the houses. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Applications have a life cycle. Whether the app runs unmodified for a few days before being replaced by a newer version or runs for 20 years, there are few applications that can run unattended forever. The progress of culture, the internet, moving pieces of hardware, changes in platforms, programming languages, and programming approaches all conspire to shorten the useful lifespan of a piece of software from the very moment that it is released. You're almost certain to have to make changes to software at various points during its lifespan and in response to events that occur, no matter what you do. However, if you have some awareness of the kinds of things that can happen to software as it lives out in the wild, you may be able to make some of these changes easier to bear. We're going to discuss some of the things that happen to running software in the wild over time. While we're breaking down this episode into blocks of time, uh, when you can expect certain issues to occur, these classifications are kind of arbitrary. Uh, basically, if something is in the 10-year block, that doesn't mean that you won't see it happen for another 10 years. It means that it's most likely to happen by the 10-year mark. It might happen in the first week, or it might happen 20 years later. Uh, these are rough groupings kind of based on Will's experience being in the industry for as long as he has. So the first grouping we're going to talk about is six months to a year. Yeah. And so the first and most obvious thing um, that you know sounds like a joke because it kind of is, but it's, it's real, uh, is you will get a new front end JavaScript framework you know, hitting the scene. This is in the six month to one year range because these evolve pretty quickly and they often include breaking changes. Now, assuming that you're using a long-term support version of your JS framework, the next one you care about will probably release within a year. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I remember when we went from Angular 1.5 to 2. I mean, there was other Angular 1s that kind of helped with that transition, but we were doing Angular 1.5 when 2 came out. And two was like, it was a whole different way of programming Angular. So yeah, if your app is out there running, um, are you going to have to go out there and update this thing? Like, is that a realistic thing that you're looking forward to? Like, this is something you should be thinking about when you're rolling it and going, okay, when this yeah. comes. Yeah, I recall you and I were consulting some on the side and we had um, a, a business person um, as a small startup, and he had heard about Angular 2 and was excited about it and wanted to bring it in. But when we got there, we saw how much they had built and how well it was built already with uh, Meteor. I think it was, was it Meteor JS? No, no, it was Angular. It was Angular 1.5. Okay. So it's a different one I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking different. No, um, everybody likes Angular. Yeah. No, he, he had heard about the new stuff in Angular 2 and he was like, we want to update. And we came in and I remember having a consultation. Where I'm like, all right, look, here's, I was like, here's your options because of the breaking changes going into Angular 2. To, to get these one or two little features that you want, you're going to have to either rewrite your entire front-end code base or wrap all of your Angular 1 stuff to work in Angular 2. Whereas if you just want these like one or two features, we could build something for that. I remember that conversation now. I, it, it's weird because, you know, like we've had so many of those conversations, but like the the iteration pattern on JavaScript frameworks is just insane and it's not mm -hmm. going to slow down. And speaking of things that are insane, uh, the other thing you can expect within six months to a year is a zero day or major short notice vulnerability. 
in something in your stack. There are always major vulnerabilities out there in the wild. Some of them you're going to have to handle rather quickly. Yeah, some of the HTTPS stuff that's happened, you know, like all the heart bleed stuff and all that, like mm -hmm. people had to get on it. And you need to be prepared if you've got an app in the wild that that is going to happen to you in that kind of time frame. Now, this does vary a lot based on your technology stack. Um, You know, if if you're using Delphi, you may not have as many zero day vulnerabilities because it's it's pretty stable. It's been around for a long time. your JavaScript framework, however, a little bit different. Uh, the thing, too, that's going to vary is how you mitigate these. So the strategy that you take to deal with these vulnerabilities will change based on the technology that you're using. So another thing that will come up within 6 to 12 months is new reporting and analytics requirements. You have an app in production. People want numbers out of it. You know, somebody paid for that thing to be out there. It serves a business purpose. Those people never know what they want until the system is out there for a while. And then they decide <laughs> on what they want. Expect to have to deliver it six to 12 months out. Yeah. Like, have you um, ever seen that not happen? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about the, the most recent times that it's happened. Uh, we, to mitigate this as much as possible, we have implemented... Uh, a very strenuous user acceptance testing where they, you know, because I'm building stuff for internal users, they are required to come in and do so much testing and to do as much as they can. So probably for the past three to four months, we've been dealing with this and data migration issues, uh, which are a whole nother topic, but they, they would get in there and they'd be like, Oh, Hey, we, you know, we didn't even think about this, but we need this report run. And, you know, we can't do it with what we've got. Now, thankfully, thankfully, most of it was, oh, the information that you're providing, we could do this if we had one more column in the CSV that comes out. I'm like, all right, that that's doable. But you get out into production and six months down the line, you got to add that. That's a pain. Yeah. And it'll happen you know, it'll be somebody with a lot of influence that wants it too. You know, the way I was taught was, you know, somebody actually said to me, they said, assume, just pretend that you are taking a kid to Baskin Robbins and you, you know, they get their ice cream and they go sit down. And what happens within like five minutes? Oh, I wanted the cotton candy ice cream, right? Understand that when that kid grows up, they put on a suit and they ask you for new analytics. <laughs> Like I actually had a senior developer tell me that, and man, that stuck with me because uh, I, I totally believe it. the The thing that I was thinking is, what happens here is you get the you you work with the business people, you get the app out in production, and then it's about five or six months later that a semi annual or quarterly report needs to be run yep. on the new app, and that's when the higher up people go, "Wait, we we can't get all the data that we want in this report." Yeah, That's or I need to justify this, you know, quarter of a million dollars I spent on this thing last year because I'm uh-huh. going to get fired if I don't. And I forgot about it because I was mm-hmm. playing golf. And, you know, yeah, that's that's a legit thing. Now, another thing that happens around this time is implementation detail rot. Yeah. So developers, uh, our memory is basically garbage. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll routinely tell people at work, they'll ask me questions about stuff. And I'm like, I've slept since then. I'll go look it up for you. I don't know. And within six months, this is serious enough that you can't remember major things about the app in a lot of cases. Oh, dude, I totally get you there because I've been working on the same app for almost two years. And since we've been in this, this UAT phase, right, we were in production now, but we were doing this UAT stuff. The the UI developer would go, well, it's this is what it's returning. I was like, that's what it's supposed to return when it errors. Well, why? I'm like, that's the agreement we had with the original UI developer on this application. Like, And by the way, you- that developer's gone now. Yeah. It's like, why did you do that? Dude, that was two years ago. I have no idea. Or it's it's something that's been running just fine. Like something we built very early on. And it's been running just fine. And now they want to add something to it. It's like... You got to give me like, we'll be in a meeting and like, hey, how how difficult would it be to to make this change? Like, give me about five minutes to go look it up and tell you, because I don't I don't remember. It's been a year and a half since I touched that. 
And yeah, man, it's totally. And like, we're even working on the same application. There are pieces of it that I haven't touched in a year or so. Yeah. And I've worked with, you know, I've worked with project managers who will be, you know, they'll say, I can't believe you don't remember that. I mean, why, why don't you remember that? And it's, it's like, okay, you were a school teacher before. Do you remember what happened on August 29th of 2016 in your algebra class? <laughs> if you don't, then you got to back off because <laughs> yeah. that's about what it is for us. No, I'm, I'm very lucky. The, um, the business analyst I work with is she completely understands. And when, when I say, Hey, I've got to go look, look this up. She's like, all right, just let me know as soon as you can. So I can tell them I, I've, I work with a great team though. I really do. Yeah. Of course this, this whole process is completely normal, right? Like this is why you want clean code. This is why you want docs within reason um, on both of those. Cause some people take those things overboard and they don't ever release, but you know, it's a thing that will happen. Now, another thing that will jump up and bite you uh, within the six to 12 month time frame that doesn't sound like it will uh, is browser technology changes. Oh, yeah. Browsers evolve rapidly um, because they are such a huge security target. They often implement changes in such a short period of time that it can break your applications. Yeah. I mean, just find yourself a Flash developer or Silverlight developer or somebody that did uh, Visual Basic 6 ActiveX documents uh, like I did. Uh, they call them <laughs> web, web classes uh, or you know Java applets and ask them about this because the browser makers decided that, hey, this is insecure. You're not doing it anymore. It doesn't matter that your business is focused around it. It, yeah. it will not be a thing. On the other end, they add stuff two browsers. I was talking to our other advanced API developer yesterday and um, one of the UI developers and I were explaining Blazor yeah. to him and how it's uh, it's actually running C Sharp in the browser. Yeah, it's compiling to, it down. Yeah, as opposed to... No, no it's supposed to Razor, which uh, transpiles it down to JavaScript. This is running it yeah. there. Um, and it, he it just blew his mind. He's like, all the browsers can do this. We're yeah, like, yeah. He's like, even Mozilla. We're like, yes, even Mozilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mozilla is not the bad one. <laughs> well, I, I guess it is now that IE is kind of going. Well, I don't know, Opera or Safari. Safari's got some quirks to it too. But yeah, there's all that kind of stuff, and there's also uh, the fact that users' expectations change mm -hmm. a lot. You know, so your app will start looking dated. You'll have stuff where it's like, you know, it's doing a post back instead of just getting a WebSocket response to say, hey, this thing, this thing's finished on the back end. Yeah. You know, little stuff like that. Users change what they, how they perceive your app or uh, the new dark theme stuff that's, you know, coming into browsers now I where it'll detect that. your, say what? I love the dark theme. Yeah, I do too. And I love that that's finally getting there. It's 2019. Um, I agree with you. I I've so had I've had a hack plugin on every browser that I've used for ten years, probably to yeah. make a dark theme a thing. Oh, it's just and it's it's going to be so great when like websites are built to have dark theme. Yeah, where it's understood that like your branding does not override my ability to not have my screen hurt my eyes. Right. Um, so that changes. So the next time frame we're going to talk about is the two to five year mark. During this time, you may get a new backend framework. The backend framework of your application will probably need to be changed within about five years, just straight up due to deprecation. Yeah. So it'll have vulnerabilities and stuff in there that, you know, they didn't know about when it was released. And when you built your stuff, it is known about now. And they're like, yeah, we're not fixing that. You know, Microsoft you know, they did recently release a Windows XP patch for mm -hmm. some kind of issue. I forget what it was, but it has to be extremely severe for them to do that. You know, well, they had said they weren't going to support it anymore. And I think it was the federal government yeah. that was like, no, you, we, we still use this. We need you to support this. And I, I don't know, but I, there were probably some like some deals worked out with them for. Oh, that. yeah. Um, you know, but XP is still out there in a lot of embedded systems and a lot of, you know, a lot of like small, like weird corners. It's, it's still out oh, yeah. there. And so they had to patch it. Um, after about a five year window, you can expect, you know, being a typical plebe developer that's not building, you know, something that gets Microsoft's attention when it has a bug. 
that your framework is going to have to be updated. You know, like .NET 2 isn't being, you know, in wide use anymore. Yeah, these tend to be a lot slower than your front-end changes uh, because they typically run in environments that are more resistant to change, more secure. And have crankier developers. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically, with this, there's just not not as much new flashy in this area, though, in the .NET world, we've got some really cool new flashy going on with .NET Core. Yeah, but you know the thing is, is nobody sees it, and so users aren't pushing on it as much either, which helps. That is that is an interesting point. We really should do an episode about this. But I was talking our front end developer that I work with. He built this really neat load screen that we're actually going to start using on all of our our applications. Um, that may like it's it's really really neat what he did it's got the the tennessee logo and the star spin around and then come into the center it's it's so cool and so flashy and so neat um he showed it to me i'm like dude that is so awesome everyone's gonna love that they're gonna think it's great and we got to talking i'm like you know when i do something that's really awesome and really amazing nobody knows about it because it's behind the scenes and it's just oh hey it works like he said it was going to work. They don't yeah. know like all the the craziness that went into building it or or all the really cool stuff behind it. They just know, oh, it's supposed to do the thing. It does the thing. Cool. Yeah, and that's actually kind of nice because then you don't have to talk to people for too long. Um, yeah, you know, like you, they're not maybe. driving they're not driving change into your environment. So oh, that's it, true. That's true. It can be kind of nice. So speaking yeah. of changes getting driven. Uh, yeah. Another thing you can expect is that your web server will get up to date. You know, will get updated. Uh, this can be anything, you know, like Apache getting patches. Um, I guess if Apache gets enough patches, is it Apache server? Um, I'm so sorry for the dad joke there. But the web server that you're running on is going to change probably in the next five years to some degree. Either Either you're going to get security patches or there's going to be different best practices. They're going to say, hey, you need to do it this way because of this security thing. Uh, those kind of things will be in the mix. And you're going to have to test and make sure your stuff isn't broken when mm -hmm. this happens. You know, web server developers tend to try and make changes transparent. They, they really do. But this can often mean having to make configuration changes at the very least. And... Configuration can be really, really annoying when you get it wrong. Yeah. Or when you, you don't test know what's it. going on. Oh, yeah. 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 That's the worst, right? Is you test it in your QA environment and you only have a single server. And then you go out to a server farm in production after you've tested it and none of the things work. Oh, totally fair. Just like this file transfer application I've been working on on the side. It works great on my local machine at work. You know, I can move a file into the folder, doesn't matter what size it is, whatever, huge PDF, just moves it right on in, uploads it to our uh, our long-term storage, no problem. Then we go put it out on the server, and the the latency issue was just, like, it, it, it wasn't, there was no latency issue moving from one folder to another on my machine, something I never even thought about until we actually got it out there. Yeah. And you'll run into that with web servers too, right? Like where it's, you know, it's doing checks or you've got some kind of server handler stuff going on in the mix and all of a sudden stuff will break that made an assumption about timings, you know, down in the yeah. guts of your app, especially um, older apps yeah. are real bad about that. Next, your operating system version will be deprecated. You know, the OS version that your app was built to run on um, or tested on is going to eventually deprecate. Usually this happens within five years. And you know, I, I have to say this. This is one thing that Microsoft is fairly decent about. You know, I know we, we trash talk Microsoft a lot because we're Microsoft developers. But uh, you know, this is one of the things that they're, they're fairly decent about is a lot of their operating systems maintain backward compatibility. Yeah, they do. Um, but even then, at a, at a low level... Uh, oh, you'll yeah, still get yeah. bit by it. I <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that this is one thing that they have done a a decent job of trying to mitigate, in my yeah. opinion. But I mean, I can remember, you know, back in the day, uh, switching from I want to say it was Windows 98 or NT to Windows 2000. 
you know, around that time frame, there's a string that comes back when you ask for the operating system version. And a lot of people, you know, did their code differently depending on the OS. Um, yeah. You know, they kind of, they branched based on that and it would return something different that wasn't expected. And so a lot of people got bitten because they didn't have a default, you know, oh. option. Oh, oh, And in fact, that's, that's why there was no Windows 9, supposedly, is because instead of, you know, people were looking for Windows space 9 mm-hmm. in there. You know, for Windows 95 and Windows 98 to tell them which calls to use. And they knew that that was out there. And so they didn't do it supposedly to avoid breaking this. So uh, this has been a problem that goes all the way back. Like, by the way, there's an example of Microsoft doing a good job at something. I I just feel like we always trash talk them. And so I I wanted to speak to some of their positives when we had an opportunity to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you got to do, you got to do rare and unique things when you get a chance. Um, So I totally, totally in favor of that. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's like traveling to a foreign country. If you get a chance, you go do it. Um, so another thing that, you know, is in the mix with that is that if you were not on the bleeding edge when you were developing, which you probably weren't. So like, let's say that you're developing now and it's mm-hmm. 2019, you might be developing on Windows Server 2016, for instance. And, yeah. you know, there's there's always new stuff coming out. I can't remember when their next OS comes out or if it's out already. But you probably aren't doing the, the very latest and very greatest because development environments tend to get behind. So you're closer to that OS dying off than you would be otherwise, just by default. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Another thing that will come up within, you know, two to five year time frame is that your encryption and hashing methods that you're using to secure stuff. Uh, start to get insecure. You know, you're probably using it to try to make hacking more difficult. So you're storing stuff like, you know, passwords, you're hashing them and, you know, putting them in a table or you're encrypting stuff when it goes over the wire. And by the way, this includes HTTPS, right? This includes Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's, you know, kind of baked in. The method that you're using may be going away within two to five years because of technological change. So for instance, we used to hash stuff all the time with, uh, you know, hash hashing methods that were really not all that great, but they worked well enough. And then all of a sudden what happens? Well, they, they get enough memory that somebody can, they can actually just test it out. They can do a rainbow table attack on a, on a hash set and they can go, okay, now I've got all the passwords because I can reverse engineer that. And newer tech will always be driving that GPUs are driving that in, in a lot of respects. Depending on your platform, this may be tricky to switch out, especially if, you're storing the hashed or encrypted data. Yeah. Hashes are the worst. Cause like, let's say that you log in, you got a password and we hash that and we store it. We no longer have that password, mm-hmm. right? So if we want to update to the new hashing method, we can't until the next time you log in and because, because we don't have the data yeah, unless we, unless we hack it ourselves and we reverse engineer your password and then do it. Um, <laughs> But, but no. that's that's a little squirrely, you know. Um, <laughs> I was thinking that I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, I was totally down that. that There's always that one off. dude that's like, "Yeah, do it, don't do it." Uh, <laughs> yeah, like what you sent to me when I said I was almost done with the outline. Yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> Next, you're going to see hardware failures. These are very likely at this two to five year mark. Hardware failures happen over time. You know, in the next five years, it's really likely that something's going to fail on whatever machine is running your code. I mean, my even machine, if it's a VM. Yeah, my machine is two years old, and we were talking about some like major issues it's having with the newer Windows updates just yep. today, where I'm like, dude, I don't know if we can record tonight because my machine is a brick at the moment. Yeah. It, it took like it took my entire lunch break for us to get my laptop working. And this is why we make fun of Microsoft. <laughs> and so we're back, y'all. Uh, yeah. So you'll have hardware failures. It could be everything from uh, you know, a hard drive crash to a network card messing up to, hey, we're on this this old version of VMware and we've got to move to a new box because we're out of space and we're you know past the lease point or whatever. A lot of times this means actually having to move your code to a different machine. And while you might think that, okay, it'll be okay, I can just move it, sometimes you get nasty little surprises then. Next, you'll see updated legal frameworks. Laws are constantly changing. 
and the regulatory environment in which you designed your system may not be the same in five years. Just ask Europe. Yeah. Or ask America with HIPAA or with CAN-SPAM or uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, right? They'll, Mm -hmm. like, let's say you roll an app out. At the same time, Congress is debating a new bill that has, you know, privacy implications. They'll give you, you know, 18 months, 24 months even to comply uh, more if you're a big enough business that you own a few Congress people. Um, Because we all know that's how it works too. (laughs) Right. But within a five year period, that thing is hitting and your app has to take it into account. And Mm -hmm. you did not design it for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine working in the government. Yeah. Where, you know, legislation changes and you are the government. So you got to make those changes immediately. Right. Well, there's usually a little bit of a, all right, you've got this amount of time to do it because it does take time to do things. They they recognize that. They don't always recognize how much time it takes to do things. But, you know, that I mean, you hear that across the board. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like with GDPR here, I'm going to send you an email and delete all trace of me from your systems. Yeah, I know I bought stuff from you and I know that you uh, take backups, um, mm-hmm. but you still got to, you know, you got to get rid of it. And like, what does compliance look like? on that it it can get really scary really quick especially when stuff isn't uh you know litigated yet like gdpr hasn't really hit the courts at a level that lets people make good decisions so people are changing software probably in ways that are not even appropriate and y'all this isn't just in the software development industry like i i saw this in medicine when i was there so speaking of of that now we're going to talk about manual rot. Yeah, and I made this term up. Uh, you know, I love basically, here's what happens. You make small changes over the years, right? Uh-huh. Usually in response to users wanting stuff or regulatory changes or, hey, you know, the hard drive crashed. We had to move it to this other box and we had to do this really dumb API change because we had to get the system back up, right? That occurs. Your manual or whatever you have, you know, whatever docs you have for that software probably did not get updated because it's never a priority when there's a scream fest going on in the server room. Oh, that's what you mean by manual. I I thought a completely different meaning of that word. Okay. <laughs> Non-automated rot is what I was thinking. <laughs> well, I didn't it kind of is, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no. I follow you. I follow you now. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Documentation and instructions are... A lot of times, an afterthought, and y'all, you gotta update that. You know what? I, I have seen this in a lot of places, and I have mad respect for the people that do this because I didn't do it when I first started, and I've started doing it now that I have matured in my career as a developer. But one thing I really like is when people make changes. Like I, I have seen some senior developers do this, where they'll go in and they'll be like changed on this date by this person here's what i did yeah i'll i'm getting better about that um Mm -hmm. the main thing is a lot of times when i do changes it's like sweeping refactorings and like all that stuff is gone anyway yeah um but i I do like to at least have it in source control yeah where i can look at it yeah and and some of this stuff wasn't source controlled um and so or the the person that really stands out to me is someone that's been doing this he was a software developer when you and I were in high school, maybe even junior yeah. high. Like he's he's close to retirement. The guy has an attitude that I hope I have when I've been doing it as long as he has. He he gets excited. He was the one I was talking to about Blazor and he was just so pumped and excited about it. I'm like, dude, you're gonna be out of the industry in like five or six years anyways. He's like, I don't care, it's so awesome. But he might not. He might <laughs> yeah, change his true. mind. Um yeah, and, and back in the day, you know, I, I definitely wrote a lot more comments and did a lot more stuff like that because our tool chains were so bad. But yeah, this this is why you you want to do that, yeah. um, especially for, you know, once you've gotten out production and you're making production level fixes, that's when the those kind of comments really shine. So next, we're going to talk about the five to 10 year range. And first off, you're going to see deprecated platform APIs. In this five to 10 year period, you can expect at least some of the APIs that you're relying on are going to go away. Okay. So like, let's say that you, I I would want to say that, you know, let's say if you're interacting with Facebook, but they like to break the APIs anyway. 
Um, but there's a lot of vendors. Like, let's say that you were interacting with QuickBooks, right? Mm-hmm. They have updated their API, I believe, in the last five years. And most of your other vendors will do that. There'll be other opportunities that'll come up or they'll go, hey, this this needs to be freshened up to be up to this other standard or, you know, whatever. And so you can't rely on those third party APIs to still be around. Right. And usually they will they will give you some notification that this is happening. Um, I know we we did an episode not that long ago about kind of that. And we, where we discussed, I, I remember the conversation about updating people and letting them know about changes to your API if you're a vendor. The thing is, this could be due to security, other APIs becoming available. It's a lot of different things that this could be because of. Yeah. And five to 10 years out, the other thing that happens is that the developer that used to get the newsletter for the API provider works somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I got a notification for a former employer. I mean, this was a company I worked for in 2013, I think last year, um, that one of the APIs that they were using was being deprecated and, you know, it's going away in 30 days. Like this was the first thing I got. I got it on my Gmail account. And thankfully I knew somebody over there and I was like, Hey, um, you need to know about this. And that was all the warning they got. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happens. That happens. Next, you'll see deprecated compilers or tools. Right. So you, let's say that you're you're running Visual Studio. You know, granted, Microsoft does a pretty good job on the backward compatibility, but they will still burn you. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, you know, going to .NET Core, you know, T4 templates, which I use, you know, sparingly. Uh, those were not available in .NET Core projects there for a while. You couldn't get them to work, and so if you're relying on that stuff you may not be able to move forward. I've also seen things where, you know, some of the tools, um, you know, they change the licensing model. For instance, you know, third parties are especially bad about this where they go, okay, yeah, this used to be free. It's not free now. And hey, you upgraded your IDE because, you know, you're not working on this one project until something comes up and then something comes up and you find out that, hey, I got to pay $500. That's a really ugly situation to find yourself in. Uh, you'll similarly find stuff with the compiler and other tools. So if your your language of choice is changing a lot, the version of the compiler that you are using may be out of date. It may have security vulnerabilities or just be not optimal or whatever. And you're going to have to port code to work with the newer stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I keep a version of Visual Studio 2012 and 2015 because... I- Every now and then I do have to deal with much older code. Yeah. But most of my development is in 2017. Now, another thing you'll see is Dead Sea developers. As your software ages and maintenance is required, you'll also find that your development team tends to change quite a bit. Yeah. So the people that love to write new apps are not there anymore. <laughs> you know, they may be in another department or they may just be working on something else. They're not maintaining this app because that's not their jam. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you tend to get people that like to maintain old apps. And a lot of re- a lot of reasons you know, come into this. But one of the big ones is that they can't learn the new stuff for whatever reason or they yeah, don't I've, want to. I've, I've seen this. You know, I I know people I have worked with them in the past. Uh, both in development and outside of development that just, and it's not just related to this. I mean, there are people that they don't want to learn the new stuff. They don't want to learn the new way of doing something. And so we need these people in the industry. I'm not going to say we don't because we do need people to maintain that. I do not want to maintain old VB code. Right. But there might come a day when you want to maintain old .NET core code. You know, when you're you know 55 and you're just like, hey, I want to coast until I can retire and I think I can do it now. <laughs> you know, th- I, like that's a legit thing. And, you know, hey, if they're keeping the system stable, I, you know, I don't have an issue with that. But Fair enough. we'll have Fair a different enough, kind yeah. of developer. Yeah, it's, it's a different mindset. Um, it's a whole different way of thinking. And it can be frustrating when you have to work for or under someone who has that mindset like uh, you may be brought on to be the new innovative person working under someone who is the old maintainer. 
and they don't understand why you need to do the things that you do or why you have to do things a certain way because they didn't have to do that when they did stuff. Yeah. Try, you know, try explaining uh, objects to somebody who's never needed them or, you know, dependency injection or any of the other stuff that we talk about mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, you know, table variables in SQL versus, you know, Hey, just use a cursor. Um, mm-hmm. Like those people are out there and they're maintaining apps, but yeah, it, it really can be difficult to fix certain kinds of things when that's what your team is. Yeah. The, the next thing that happens is uh, a change in your users. The first generation of your users, you know, they were involved in the design. They were involved in the rollout at, at whatever level they were. And they have expectations about how the software works and they report bugs. Mm-hmm. If you don't fix those bugs, the next generation of users grows up with them and they come to expect some of those bugs to work the way that they work, even if it's technically incorrect. This could be anything from, hey, this field isn't editable, but you know it actually is. And they edit it and they use it for something to you know any number of other things. I mean, you'll, you'll see people do really strange workflows sometimes because they just learned the app from somebody that didn't care that much. And they kind of made it up as they went and they found something that worked. And once they have something that worked, they don't learn anything new. Oh, yeah. I, I've totally seen that. Um, it's Dead Sea users. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I like that. That's a good term. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I have I've completely seen that. Uh, and when you're what's really bad is when you're replacing a system and yep. they're like, well, the old system did that. Next, at this point, it's going to be slower for new features to come out than it will be for your competition that doesn't have as much technical debt as you do. Yeah, or as much data, for that matter. Yeah, so if you have competition, then your old piece of software may be harder to change than their newer stuff. Yeah, and this is why people like rewrites, Mm -hmm. is because, hey, I can get rid of this technical debt and go do the new thing. Competition gets more difficult over time because you have newcomers hitting the market that decide that, hey, this old way of doing stuff that, you know, made sense 10 years ago doesn't make sense now. Yeah. And so they don't implement it, but you have to maintain it because your users still want it. Finally, you have knowledge rot. I mean, this is this is kind of like manual rot, but at another level, at a deeper level, you will cycle through developers over a 10 year period. It may be that none of the original developers are around. Yeah, there's code that I was writing uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, I guess that project finished up about 10 years ago. Uh, at, you know, a number of employers back. And I ran into the guy that maintained it last year at Music City Tech. Wow. And I asked him how it was running. And he said, hey, we haven't had to touch it. But I'm sitting here thinking that poor dude, when he does have to, there's <laughs> nobody at that company that remembers that. Like they, they don't even know. Well, I think some of the people really high up know I was involved. No, um, we have one person that's still around that's been around for a while. I mean, the thing with working in the the public sector, you do tend to have people that stick around for longer periods of time. Yeah, things do. Or small be- family businesses are like that too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so we do have one person that like. Whenever I'm on the maintenance team and I get something that is just ancient, I have to I have to call her up or send her a Slack and be like, "All right, hey, so where do I even go to work on this?" There, there's so much knowledge, and then there's there's a couple other people. Some of our DBAs, it's like, "All right, we we need a knowledge transfer. We need you to write this stuff down." They're working yeah, on that you, now. And can you please organize the zip disks in this cabinet? <laughs> and find me a drive so I can actually pull this thing out when I need it. Um, yeah, literally, I was going through the uh, I was going through the supply cabinet at work a uh-huh. few weeks ago. I was looking for some pins, and I found a box of floppy disks. So yeah. <laughs> you, you can imagine if you're still finding those, you'll still find code that was written to run with those. So the next time frame we're going to talk about is ten to twenty years, and this is like some really old school stuff. Devs are getting hard to find and they're going to be at a premium in the 10 to 20 year range. The number of developers still in the industry, at least those who remember how to work on the code and the software like yours is getting smaller and more limited. 
yeah, developers die, they retire, or worse, they move into non-coding management positions. You know, this gets expensive and you'll end up spending a huge chunk of budget just maintaining a system versus improving it mm-hmm. if it makes it this long. And that's the thing. You you may have built something in a really stable technology. Vax? Yeah, we've we've talked about this. There is some stuff out there that is still running in COBOL. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's solid because it was built really well. But finding a COBOL developer or someone to go in and like make adjustments there, that's going to cost you three, four hundred dollars an hour. Yeah, especially um, when you figure that a lot of them don't really know how to make the code performant in that environment because there's a lot of low level stuff that they uh-huh. wouldn't have gotten unless they were there. Now, yeah. another thing that will hit you is that there are no more forums for the tech that are active. So, you know, people get online, they ask questions, they get answers. 10 to 20 years out, that's not a thing. Those forums are dead. I mean, 20 years ago, we're talking the 90? Uh, no, we're talking the early 2000s at this point almost. 99. Right. So, yeah. So, the Visual Basic 6 code that I was writing and getting paid for back then... Uh-huh. Um, if you go to the VB6 forums, there's not a lot of activity. Yeah, makes sense. And so you need help on something, you're going to have a hard time getting it. And by the way, VB was widely adopted and was the cool thing back then. And there's a ton of people with that experience compared to some other technology that's yeah. older. Well, this also means that job boards for that technology aren't going to be around. It's going to be harder to hire people and find people that know it. Which means going through a recruiter and getting hit again on that bill because the recruiter takes their cut on top of the exorbitant price. Next, it's harder to get data out of databases with the newer tools. Yeah, so your database technology ages and people don't really think about this very much because it's a really long cycle, but it does happen. You may have a really interesting time getting drivers for some Mm -hmm. of the older systems. For instance, if you're doing Fox Pro stuff and you need to get data out of there or um, like the advantage database. Uh, Some of those I've actually worked with that one. A lot of times the drivers are hard to get. The newer developers don't understand how that system worked Uh because it's not necessarily, you know, not all the databases are necessarily relational. I can see 20 years down the road, people are going to say, what is a relational database? Because they're going to be used to document databases or graph databases or something else that we haven't thought of yet. No, I, I, I totally get this because a lot of the, the stuff that I deal with on when I'm on maintenance or that I'm working to replace is 10 to 15 years old. And so I, I'm seeing a lot of this. That makes sense. Next, you will see a lot of unaddressed zero-day vulnerabilities. I mean, at this point, if a vulnerability is found, uh, it's going to be in the wild um, before you find out about it. Yeah, maybe for years. Potentially. Um, It may not even be patched. Yeah. Like if you're using Pathworks, you know, the old uh, digital electronics corporation stuff, you know, the deck computers, and there's a vulnerability in that, you're probably out of luck (laughs) because they aren't here anymore. Now, the other thing is that system's hopefully protected from the open internet, but even so. um, Also, you have to think that a lot of developers that were on mailing lists back then are gone now. Yeah. So back then, the mailing lists were the U.S. mail, not email lists in many cases. And your organization may not be at the same address either. So you may not be getting them at all. Next, you'll see surprise major security changes around operating system level APIs. Right. So you may be depending on OS APIs for various reasons, usually for performance or for security critical code, you know, those kind of things. And those are likely to change a lot over a 10 to 20 year time frame. Like if you think 20 years ago where Windows was, we were mm-hmm. just about to get uh, Windows 98 second edition. And so you had all the ActiveX stuff going on. You had a lot of uh, buffer overflow stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And so people were calling APIs that didn't enforce, you know, string length, didn't do checks. You know, th- those days are long gone. But at some point, if your app is doing that, it's going to get cut off by the operating system or you're going to have to do config changes or, some, you know, stuff is going to come up related to this. Finally, at this level, you will have reverse engineering rot. 
you know, at this point in the game, your engineers are almost certainly not the original people and probably don't have similar experiences. Like I was saying, we've got one person and there's been a few times where I've asked her about things. She's like, oh, well, so-and-so wrote that. Thankfully, most of the time when she says so-and-so wrote that, they still work um, around here. So I'm able to like get in touch with them like, hey, man, let's grab lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there have been a few times I've done that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen it where, you know, like not only is the original crew gone, but everybody that remembers anybody that remembers them is gone. Right. Yeah. Like you'll see a name and that's literally all you have and you can't even find a personnel record. And oh, it's yeah. like, it's, you know, it's like their acronym for their name. It's not the full name and you're just out of luck. So like and, when we were talking earlier about remembering code that we wrote six months ago being challenging and we have to go look at it and, and work through it. Imagine coming in and the code was written 15, 20 years ago in a language that you don't know that you've never used. And the thought processes, the way they thought about code is so different that you just like, I have trouble with this. Like, I, I mean, I have to literally go back and listen to music that I listened to in high school. And sometimes yep. I, I even like burn incense that I burned in high school to get in the mindset when I have to look at those things, because that was the same kind of mindset I had when I was writing code in high school. Yeah. So it's like Champa and Ace of Base, and you're going to go and deal with some global variables. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and people that don't code don't get that. But yeah, it's, it's a, you don't remember what it was like to think a different way. Yeah. And you can't get a hold of the people that still think that way. Well, the thing and is, people that don't code don't have to go back and address why they thought a certain way. Um, and it may be why some of us get you know, like programming attracts a certain type of person. And I, you know, I was having a conversation with the, with one of my family members, I don't know if it was my sister or my mom the other day about just like all the different, they, they call them phases. I'm like, it's not a phase, you know, it, it's not that I no longer like the things that I used to like then it's that I like new things. Now I can still in my mind, go back to the way I thought when, you know, I dressed a certain way and I, listen to a certain kind of music and stuff like that. I could totally go back to the way I thought then and not in a, Oh my goodness, I can't believe what I used to do in a, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that was fun. That was fun. That was, that, that is still a part of me. And that's the way developers think they, you know, I might not be able to immediately recall it, but with a little bit of effort, I can go back and think that way. Yeah. So. If you ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the problem here is you, you didn't, didn't. Yeah. Speaking of that, the final one we're going to talk about is your 20 plus years. You know, all competent developers are either dead, retired, um, moved so far up that they don't even, you know, touch a computer anymore. No. And you can't go talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the new ones that know it are extremely expensive. You know, after the 20 year mark, it's going to be really, really hard to find developers to replace any that you lose. I mean, I just looking where, where I work with the state government, we've got people that have been around almost 20 years. Some that have been around a little bit longer, like right around that range, but that's when they start to retire. On that note, you will be losing people as they retire. And those replacements are really expensive. If you can replace them at all. Which is the other thing, because, you know, they may also be in a weird business sector and old tech. So you're just out of luck there. Another thing that is a problem is you, you start having a really, really hard time getting data in and out because of hardware changes. Uh, by this point, it's really difficult to replace any hardware that breaks. Like if you're trying to run on the original hardware and you haven't ported for some unbelievable reason, like it was a really expensive computer system. So stuff like connecting to a network or hooking up an external drive either becomes more difficult or just flat out impossible. Yeah. And on top of that, mistakes are so much easier to make, especially since people aren't used to that older technology. Well, and it was more unforgiving. Like I've, oh, yeah. I've seen a PhD with, with, of computer science fry two motherboards in one day by plugging in a mouse Wow, back in the day. Yeah, I, I can believe it. Yeah. Uh, Next, you have data corruption and very likely data loss. Yeah, at some point, some part of the system is going to fail. 
depending on how short staffed you are, you may not notice it in time and you're going to have some data loss or corruption. Yeah. Because people don't watch old systems. If they're stable, yeah. they're, they're out of mind. Data restoration may be interesting for basically the same reasons. It's really, really difficult to get the data out of these systems. And the other thing that happens is you might have hardware vulnerabilities starting to come into play where they were infeasible before. Like the hardware you're using might have security issues like timing attacks that were difficult to make happen back in the day. But hey, you know, Moore's Law has kicked in for 20 years and guess what? Now we can do it. You know, if no one's paying attention to your hardware vulnerabilities, you might have a breach for a long time before it's ever noticed. Yeah, because people don't even know the traffic patterns that in- indicate data being exfiltrated off of old systems because it's probably slow and it's mm-hmm. in the background and all that. So, yeah, oh, it yeah. doesn't get noticed. Next, you've got cultural changes that lead to verbiage and image meaning something completely different. I mean, just in this podcast, we talked about a word that Will used that I read as something completely different. Oh, Yeah. Now, like over a 20-year period, the meaning of words may be taken in an entirely different way. Yeah, or images. Um, And just a really good example of this is the floppy disk icon that you see when you're saving a document in lots of different editors. It's a old school, you know, three and a half inch floppy disk icon. Uh Uh-huh. Right? When was the last time you saw somebody with a floppy disk? Oh, I saw one Saturday, but I was cleaning up my garage. Yeah, like it's just not a thing, (laughs) but it's still the icon. And so somebody coming into this new, there's a barrier there. Well, what I love the meme of the the kid going, you know, seeing a floppy disk and going, oh, you you 3D printed the save icon. Yeah, (laughs) for real. Because that's that's reality for him. Um, Yeah. And speaking of printed 3D save icons. Uh, another thing that happens is you lose cultural expertise. There's cultural expertise rot. You know, in, in addition to all the knowledge rot that happens over time, at longer intervals, you'll see basic understanding evaporate. Uh, for example, one of the things that I built uh, early on in my career was a conversion system for this archaic coordinate system that was used. Uh, during the Western expansion to dole out land from the government. So it broke it down into plots of land and it was just like square by like it broke it down into squares. And then you had tinier squares inside of that. And then you had feet from the, you know, Southern line and from the Eastern line to show you where you were. Yeah. Like just this, this archaic system but you know what? It's still being used because it's in the legislature to use it. And you got people that have been doing this for 30, 40, even 50 years um, in the industry, not in programming, but in the industry, that that's all they know. Like you give them a GPS coordinate, they're lost. Y'all, all things die. This includes the system you're working on right now and any systems you build in the future. When building an application that is intended to be in production for a long period of time with minimal maintenance, there are things that will probably occur uh, that can create maintenance work. If you're aware of these from the start, you can a lot of times design your applications to make it easier to handle when they come up. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, you know, they always say to begin with the end in mind. But, you know, one thing that we kind of covered in this episode was don't just think about the end, but think about the stages leading up to the end. And if you plan for those, everything gets easier. And it it doesn't really matter if it's a, you know, a software application or it's a business contract. If you think about how this thing is going to fall apart when it finally goes, you can make better decisions on the front end that make it less painful. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. 
For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.